You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Sean Myers as he delivers. We have an obligation to the Spirit. Well, good morning, 12 Stone. Incredible worship, yes? Come on. Are you kidding me? Amen. We get, we get to worship a God that is worthy. We want to say welcome here and across all of our campuses and online to 12 Stone. We are glad that you are here with us on this Labor Day weekend. Are you guys having a good weekend? Yes, getting a break, hopefully. Hopefully you're getting some time with family and friends to unwind and relax a little bit throughout this weekend with an extra day off from school with the kiddos as well. I know Cassie and I, man, we, uh, we don't know what to do with ourselves. We pawned off our four children to my parents for a few days. Amen. Just amen right there. And we don't even know what to do with ourselves anymore. We got so much freedom, uh, but it's fun, and we've been enjoying it. But that's where we've been the past two weeks, right? Let's jump right in. We've been talking about freedom, walking through Romans chapter 8, Paul's convictions inside of his faith. And we're, if you're catching on, you're learning that Romans chapter 8 is really a declaration of freedom to those who are Christ followers. And we've been walking through that and studying it together. So we're going to jump back in today. If you would, grab your Bibles. Uh, you may have a digital device. You can bring that out. Uh, but here and across all of our campuses, if you grab one of our worship center Bibles, it should be underneath your chair. Maybe you got it as you walked in. Uh, but you can turn to page 1,132 in Romans chapter 8. This is where we're going to be here today. Now, as you're turning there, let's remind ourselves of where we've been uh, the past two weeks. We're talking about these freedoms we experience through the convictions of Paul. And here was the first one, that God is for us. See, Jesus freed us from the penalty of sin. This is why we sing the songs that we sing proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, because our penalty is paid for through him alone. Last week we talked about that there is no condemnation in Christ, that the Holy Spirit freed us from the power of sin inside of our lives, that guilt and regret has no place because there is no condemnation. We're starting to feel the freedom inside of all of this today. But the question that Paul begins to lead us towards as he continues through Romans chapter 8 is this. He says, what do we do with this new found freedom? What do we do with it? See, unguided freedom can be a dangerous thing, can it? For example, it was a little while ago, I was at home alone with my son, Beckett. Cassie had taken the other kiddos out with her, and Beckett and I were just kind of chilling. In fact, I just kind of had to go off to my office really quick and get some work done. Uh, and as I was in the office working, all of a sudden, my son, Beckett, six years old, walks into my office, kind of interrupts what I'm doing, but my attention is on my work and what I have to get done. And he says, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? And not really paying attention, but kind of understanding what he said. I said, sure, buddy, go have whatever you want. <laughs> if you're a parent, you're catching on. I continued to do some work. And then in the back of my mind, something just started telling me, what did you, what did he, what did you say? I said, this is not a good thing. Eventually, I made my way back over to the living room. I find my son on the couch sitting there. He's got his feet up, cookie in hand, chocolate all over his mouth just smiling, watching TV. He had opened up a whole box of Samoa cookies, and there were only two left now. <laughs> the first thought in my mind in that moment was, please, God, do not tell your mom 
Just don't. Just, just leave it right there. Don't say a word. But it's my fault, right? It's my fault. Because I gave him a freedom he shouldn't have had. He didn't know what to do with it. It was unguided. I should have been there guiding him, saying, son, listen, go have whatever you want of a snack, but listen, use discretion. Only a few, maybe one or two of whatever you're going to have. That night, he's bouncing off the walls. My, my wife's going, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know. Who knows? Crazy. <laughs> but, but here's my point. Unguided freedom is a dangerous thing. Remember back to when you first got your license. Maybe you got a promotion inside of work and the, and the paycheck got a little bit bigger. When we experience these freedoms inside of our lives, when they are unguided, it's dangerous. And so Paul asks us this question. He says, we have, and leads to this, we have an obligation to the Spirit. If we're going to walk in this new freedom of no condemnation inside of our lives, he says we have to have an obligation to the Spirit. This is the conviction for us Today, that we're going after, that Paul would have for us inside of this freedom. Now, most of us don't like the word obligation. We're going to get to that later. But today, we're going to be all about the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul goes after. We need to tune into that inside of our lives. But to set up how Paul introduces this topic, I have to ask you a question, which is what he's going to ask us. And here's the question. What has your attention? What has your attention Here's what I mean. My wife, Cassie, her least favorite word is what. Now, it's not the word itself. It's in the circumstances that I say it. Here's what happens. She will be talking to me at the house, talking about everything that's going on inside of her life, but my attention is somewhere else. And as soon as she stops talking, I assume she asked a question. So my response is, what? She does not like that. Is there anyone else like me that you have selective hearing? Like, there's just things that you can't hear. You are, guys, come on. Right? There we go. I feel better about that. Most of us, man, we struggle with this. Because different things get our attention. What has your attention in your life? I can be sitting in a room with a bunch of people and have no idea what they're talking about. I can be in my living room watching a football game and not know what my kids are saying back and forth. What has your attention? Is it your job? Maybe the future and the goals you have set before you that you want to go get. Maybe it's a hobby that you have. Maybe it's your kids, a spouse. Something has your attention. And what Paul wants to get us to, the underlying question that really matters for us today and matters for this conviction we're going after is this. Does God have your attention? Does God have your attention? This is the question. If the answer is no, that's probably one of the main problems that's inside of your life. See, we need God's voice inside of every area of our lives, inside of our finances, our jobs, our families, our spouse, and our marriages, inside of raising our kids. We need God's voice inside of our lives because there is a power behind the voices that we listen to. We know this. See, the right voice can encourage, empower, reinforce, correct, direct, love, inspire, invest, Comfort, bring peace and patience. Likewise, the, the, the wrong voice can discourage, destroy, distress, break down, condemn, frustrate, depress. See, we all need God's voice in our lives. But to do that, 
we have to give him our attention to God. This is what we do with our freedom. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us to do next in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 5. Paul answers the question, what do we do with this freedom? We direct it towards God and giving him our attention. We're going to read it together. I'll start in verse 5. Let's read along. He says this, Paul Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set, meaning their attention, on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, meaning those who have been saved by Jesus Christ, have the Spirit, and then it's broken the power of sin, have their minds set, their attention, on what the Spirit desires. Now verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So today, that's what Paul would have for us inside of our freedom. What he would have us go after next is this, is to focus our attention on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's desires over our lives. That's because the Holy Spirit is our guide. We're going to be talking about this today, diving into the things of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a topic that many of us are probably uncomfortable with. That's going to be all right. But we're going to walk through it because that's where Paul Leads us because there are places in your life, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, where you need breakthroughs. And the only person that can do that for you today is the Holy Spirit. So we have to hear from the Holy Spirit today. Now, I do want to say this last week was an inspirational type of teaching. Man, I was bouncing around this stage, bringing around baggage, carrying crosses under arches, yelling a little bit, getting fired up. That's inspirational teaching. Today, Paul has changed a little bit of his approach in Romans chapter 8. Today's not an inspirational teaching, so to speak. It's an instructional teaching. Paul's going to tell us how to get into the nitty-gritty grime of how we grow inside of this freedom now that we have under no condemnation in Christ. He wants to give us new tools to put in our spiritual tool belt here today that we can grow up as we follow Jesus Christ according to the Holy Spirit. So let's do it together. But before we do that, would you bow your heads with me? Can we pray and ask God to be here with us? So Holy Spirit, we're talking about you today. Talking about you. And so I would ask, Holy Spirit, be here. We know you're in us. We're going to learn about that. But fill us. Fill this place. Fill the atmosphere of this room and every campus that we would experience you in fresh and new ways and reveal to us where you would have us grow up in our lives as we follow you, as we go after the things of your kingdom. So have your way inside of our hearts here today, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. So I have to say right off the top, I've already mentioned it, the topic of the Holy Spirit can be a little bit uncomfortable for some people in a room, right? Like God the Father, check, makes sense, good. Jesus the Son of God, yeah, great, grateful, love him, he's my savior. The Holy Spirit, most of us are like, a little weird. Yeah, not sure how I feel about that. But it, So any good teacher that's gonna start off the top and talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, it needs to start off here. The Holy Spirit is not weird. Can we just say that? But, but here's the problem. We've all seen people talk about the Holy Spirit and they're weird. And, and so let, let, let me demonstrate something to you though. Can I say something? They were probably weird before they ever had the Holy Spirit or started talking about the Holy Spirit, right? There's a new survey out there that says one in every three people is weird. They're weird. So, so, so do this here and across all the campuses. Take a look to your left, the person at your left. Take a look at the person to your right. Now, if they're not weird, chances are you, you might be, right? 
Let's just be honest in a room like this. We're all a little weird. Aren't we all a little weird? Just turn to your neighbor and say, you're a little weird. It's all right. You're a little weird. Some of you said that way too passionately. But hear me, the Holy Spirit is not weird. He is God. If you hear nothing else today, you need to hear this. You can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and not be a weirdo. It's possible. See, the Holy Spirit is a topic that is very difficult to talk about. In fact, Oswald Chambers, he, he has a quote that I love that speaks to the clarity of this. He says, the Spirit is the first power we practically experience, but the last power we come to understand. And many of us experienced that power last week as we let go of regret and guilt inside of our lives. You experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, but it's one of the hardest things to understand inside of our lives. So let's jump in. Let's ask this question. Who is the Holy Spirit? You can walk with me through this and write this stuff down. Here's the first thing. He is someone, not something. He is someone, not something. See, he's not a force like Luke Skywalker has on Star Wars. He's not a psychic power like Eleven on Stranger Things. That's not how this works. In fact, true story, the first time I saw Star Wars and I saw Luke Skywalker do something with the force, I'm like, that's it? That's the Holy Spirit. I get it. It makes sense. I literally, I ran to my room after the movie was done. I took a pencil and I set it on the desk and I just stared at it. And I just thought to myself, Holy Spirit, move it. And nothing happened. Shocking, I know. But I... Many of us, I think, we just think it's this force that we can wield and use around us. But the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person. He's personal. And why does that matter? Why do we need to know that? Because if you don't understand that he's personal, you won't have a personal relationship with him. He's personal. In fact, in all of the New Testament, the pronouns used for the Holy Spirit in the original Greek language, they are all he, not it. Scripture is very clear about the person of the Holy Spirit. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit that it gives us inside of our lives. Our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And if you're catching on, these are attributes of a person, not just something. The Holy Spirit is a person. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's, a per he's someone, not something. Second thing, he is God. He's God. Many of us treat the Holy Spirit like he's the third wheel. Just like on a date, he's a third wheel, he's just over there. Rather than the person of the Trinity, he is ignored by too many of us. And so let me ask this, when was the last time you told the Holy Spirit you loved him? A little bit weird, right? All right, say with me. When was the last time you just talked to the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you worshiped the Holy Spirit? When's the last time you thanked the Holy Spirit for what he's doing in your life? And here's why it matters. This is why it matters. If we ignore one-third of God, we function at two-thirds of God's power. See, we've been ignoring part of God's power inside of our lives to break sin. He's not the third wheel. He's the third part of the Trinity. He is God. What does that mean? It means everything that God is, the Spirit is. He's all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring, compassionate, all-powerful. He's everywhere all the time. That is the Holy Spirit. So he is someone, not something. He is God. Here's the third one. This is the great one. He is in you. He is in you. So we've got to keep reading Paul inside of Romans chapter 8. We'll pick up a, a verse 9 here and read with me. This is what Paul says about the fact that he's in you. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, 
but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal, mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. He is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. When you give your life to Christ, when you surrender your life before him, believe him for the forgiveness of the sins, a deposit takes place inside of your life. You get the Holy Spirit within you. And this matters because there are only certain things that the Holy Spirit can do and say in you because that's who he is. So if you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit and Paul would then say to you the amount of spiritual power that you are experiencing in your life has nothing to do with how much of God you have but how much of you God has. I'll read it again. Spiritual power has nothing to do with how much of God you have but how much of you God has. See, coming to Christ is not a return to religion. It's a surrender to God. Which is why Paul then says, today's conviction, Romans chapter 8, verse 12. We'll read. He says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Now, it's not our favorite word. I've already said that, right? We don't like this word obligation. I mean, it, many of us, it, it goes with like doing the dishes. That's an obligation. Doing the laundry, yeah, it's got to be done. Feeding my kids, I suppose. I got to do that. I got to take care of them, right? But, but that's not what this word actually means. You have to think of it as not something you have to do, but something you get to do. And in the original Greek, this, this word obligation actually means to be bound to, to be bound to. Probably the best, best way we could look at it, best example would be marriage, that you're bound to one another. And in the same way, we are bound to the Holy Spirit because he has set us free from the power of sin. But the Holy Spirit is also bound to us. Verse 12 says this, We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Well, then our obligation is to what? But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's because of the Holy Spirit's obligation to us while we are obligated to him. This is the conviction Paul wants us to have. See, the Holy Spirit's goal is to change us. The Holy Spirit's goal is to change us. Listen, the Spirit of God is not trying to change your behavior. He is trying to change your heart. Got to know that difference. Not trying to change your behavior, trying to, to change your heart. He doesn't want obedience because you have to. He wants obedience because you desire God, because you love God. That's what the Holy Spirit does inside of our lives. See, there's a battle that's going on inside you between your humanity and the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it plays as a little voice. Some of you know this. If you've ever come home from a long day of work to your spouse and you notice that your spouse is stressed, has a little bit of anxiety, is a little bit short with you, maybe a little bit rude, and all of a sudden you're about to speak up and say something and there's a little voice inside of you that goes, oh, I wouldn't go there. Not right now. Probably not a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. You're driving in that car in the middle of traffic and your hand starts sliding towards that horn and your hand starts going up on the other side with a finger. That's the Holy Spirit's going, don't do that. Might not want to do that. Not that one. 
In the same way, you might be walking down the street and see someone that's in poverty and in a rough situation, and all of a sudden you look the other way, but then there's something inside of you going, yeah, hey, you should probably do something. I need you to go over there. That's the Holy Spirit. Maybe for you, it's, you're driving around, you're looking around, you're trying to figure out what's going on, and all of a sudden God brings someone to your mind, just a person to your mind, and you realize, yeah, they're going through a hard time, and God, God just goes, I need you to pray for them. That's the Holy Spirit. He's working in you. And so to help us understand what this looks like, what this practically looks like in our lives, I wanted to have a visual, something for you to see that's like, this is the Holy Spirit, and it'll set something in your mind, you go, that makes sense. And so in order to do that, though, I want to play a sound for you. Here across all our campus, I want to play a sound for you. This is probably the most annoying sound in the world. You guys ready for this? Here it is. Go ahead and play it, guys. Can you feel the anxiety just raising within you? If you don't know what this is, this is the default alarm clock on the iPhone, right? Some of you just woke up from this sermon going, what's going on, man? I don't get... <laughs> man, we hate this sound, don't we? If you have this as your alarm sound, man, it's just annoying. It makes you want to punch someone. I don't even know if I can say that. It, it just, it drives you nuts. But here's the reality. Here's what I want to help you to see. The Holy Spirit is like an alarm clock. See, what's an alarm designed to do in your life? It's designed to what? To wake you up. To wake you up to the things that you have to go do inside of your life. You're up for a reason at a certain time. Well, in the same way, the Holy Spirit exists. He is here within us to wake us up to the things of God. He's trying to show you and whisper inside of your life. An alarm goes off and he's like, listen, I need you to grow up right here. I need you to do this. Go after that. I have something better for you to go after inside of your life. Now, to help us understand this a little bit better, I, I'm wondering, a little bit of feedback in the room. Uh, there's always two types of people inside of a room. And the first is this, those that are early morning people. Are there early morning people here across all of our campuses? You're like, wake me up, baby, I have it. Some of us. I'm an early morning person. All right. Well, then there's the other side of that. Do we have night owls, the people that can just stay up all night? Let me hear from you. Yes. Hands up. All right. Some of us. Okay. For those of you that are night owls, you can just stay up all night and, and finally go to bed. What is your favorite button on your alarm clock? Snooze button, baby. You hit that bad boy, you got 10 more minutes, right? We love it. Some of you hit it three or four times. It's like, just set your alarm later. It'll work. Now, can I make a point? I think God wanted me to say here today to every single one of us across all of our campuses that as Christ followers, too many of us are hitting the snooze button on the Holy Spirit inside of our lives. We just are. See, the Holy Spirit is within us trying to wake us up to the things that he wants to do, and we keep going. I just hit the snooze button. It'll be all right. I'll get to it. God goes, no, 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 I need you to love and serve your spouse. Yeah, I got it, Holy Spirit. I got it, I got it. I'll get to that, I'll get to that. No, 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 I need you to give like I called you to give in excess. I gave you excess to go help the people around you. I'll, I'll get to that, God. It's all right, I'll get there. 
And man, we just keep hitting the snooze on the Holy Spirit inside of our lives. In church, I want you to hear something. What if, they'll put it up on the screen right here. What if the greatest danger of sin is not its effect on us, but that it cuts us off from the Spirit of God? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. That because he is so holy and within us, that when we bring sin inside of our lives and when we sin and commit things that he's asking us not to do, we can grieve the Holy Spirit and his voice can become distant inside of our lives. The more and more we sin, the more and more we hit that snooze button whenever he talks. And hear me, Paul is talking about this after he's already mentioned there's no condemnation in Christ. So when you hear from the Holy Spirit, it's not out of guilt or regret. It's out of a loving heart of a father saying, I have a guide for you, a better thing for you to go after. I have something better for you inside of your life. But the Holy Spirit is designed to wake us up to the things of God. And I wonder, church, where have you been hitting the snooze button on the Holy Spirit inside of your life? God's pressing in, going, don't do that. Listen to me, follow me, go after what I have for you inside of this. Does the Holy Spirit have your attention? Does the Holy Spirit have your attention? And hear me, church, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Still is. God's asking for our obedience in the moment. So let's get practical. What is the Holy Spirit trying to wake us up to in our life? Here's the question. What does the Holy Spirit do? First thing, helps us fight sin. Write it down. Helps us fight sin. Most of us flirt with sin trying to tame it rather than kill it. But we have to understand this. I'll put it up. I'll read it. When it comes to sin, you have to be killing it or it will be killing you. Simple truth. Paul wants us to know it. It'll be killing you. See, the point as a Christian is that you would always have to be fighting sin in the Spirit. And the Spirit is going to wake us up to that sin. Look, look, keep reading. Verse 13. This is what Paul says. If by the Spirit, by the what? Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, only then will you live. One of my favorite quotes from Pastor Matt Chandler is this one. It's hilarious. It makes me laugh every time. Fighting sin without the Spirit is like open hand slapping a bear. It isn't going to go well for you. It just isn't. See, many of you feel defeated in fighting against your sins because you fight the impulses of sin through the powers of the flesh. And you can't. You can't win that. It's not designed to. You have to fight in the power of the Spirit. That's what Paul's saying in verse 13. It's through the Spirit. So how exactly do we fight sin through the Spirit inside of our lives? I want to give you five things that you can do that's going to help you fight sin through the Spirit. They'll throw it on the screen. We'll walk through them. Here they are. Humble confession, total surrender, reassurance of your salvation, memorizing Scripture, and don't just avoid sin. Pursue God. Let me break them down. Humble confession. There are certain things... God can only heal. That there is a callousness, a mildew around our heart that only the light of God can expose and get off of our heart through his kindness and his goodness. In fact, it says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed in James 5, 16. The power of confession is that it breaks the power of sin over our lives. Each and every one of us needs a place we confess to confess our sins. And I encourage you, today in all of our lobbies, you can go out, out in our lobbies. We have small groups that are there ready to set up. And here's the point. Don't tell everyone. Tell someone, though. Like, 
Someone's gotta know, somebody's gotta help. God's gonna meet you in that moment as you confess to the Holy Spirit and confess to someone around you to break the power of sin. Total surrender. See, we are not in a negotiation with God. Coming to Christ is not a return to a religion, it's a surrender to a person. And that includes surrendering our sins to him, placing them before him when we meet with him, trusting that him alone can do that. And PK talks about this all the time, that he lists his sins down on a piece of paper and then writes forgiven over it. Make that a practice inside of your life. Totally surrender those sins before him and trust God wherever he leads you. And listen, God can only guide the things you give him. He can only guide the things that you give him. Holy Spirit can only guide those things you entrust to him. Third, reassurance of your salvation. The Spirit breaks a sin and fights sin inside of our lives by continually reminding you in the moments when you face temptation that, that who you belong to, that, that you are in Christ and that there's no condemnation. He will remind you in those moments as we fight, as we read the word, who you belong to, and he'll reassure you of your salvation. Memorizing specific scripture. See, when Jesus fought Satan, what did he do? He quoted scripture. If Jesus does that, don't you think we need to do that as well? Man, we need to start memorizing scripture inside of our lives. In church, I want to say this out of a loving heart. If today, on Sunday, during a teaching like this, if this is the only intake of scripture you have in your life, that is not enough to fight the temptation of sin. It just isn't. The temptation of sin comes daily, which means we need a daily pursuit of God's word inside of our life. Every single day, get inside of it. And then memorize the scripture, and here's what happens. When I face sin inside of my life, I will literally say scripture out loud in that moment, and that'll stop me from sinning because I remember the goodness of who God is. And maybe you're sitting here going, what do I memorize? I would read Romans chapter eight if I were you. Let the, let the verses that stick out to you, stick out to you, highlight them and memorize them. I promise you, when you face sin in your life, if you say those out loud, you will not sin because the power of the Holy Spirit will fill you in that moment, and you'll walk right through it. Last one, don't just avoid sin, pursue God. See, many Christians, we, we play this game of how close can I get to that line of sin without crossing it? And what God is telling us and the Holy Spirit wants us to see is, listen, stop asking how far you can go. And instead of concentrating on that sin inside of your life, run from it, flee from it, but don't just run, run towards God, pursue him. Go after him inside of his word, inside of prayer, inside of the spiritual disciplines in our life, and he will empower you as you chase him inside of your life. Practically speaking, here, here's what I do inside of this. Pursuing God, I lay my calendar before God and I pray over it and ask him, what do you want me to do in these circumstances? I lay my budget before him and look at it and say, God, what would you have me do inside of this? I, I, I bring my concerns of my children and my marriage before God and say, God, what would you do with this? And I pursue him practically through those things, and he gives me guidance inside of it. Those are five ways to fight the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. What does the Holy Spirit do? He leads us to Christ-likeness. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the question to ask is, led by God where? And the answer is that he is, the Holy Spirit is always going to be leading you to Christ-likeness. Always going to be leading you to Christ-likeness. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? It, it means, in Christ-likeness, that means you would love what Jesus loves. That you would hate what Jesus hates. That you would seek what Jesus seeks. That you would serve the way Jesus serves. That you would do what Jesus does. That you would give the way that Jesus gives. The Holy Spirit is always going to lead us to Christ-likeness. He's gonna point back to the cross every moment we spend with him. The Spirit's goal is Christ-likeness. It satisfies for nothing less inside of our lives, which leads us to the last thing. What does the Holy Spirit do? 
He assures us of our identity. Paul wants to land on this as the last thing the Holy Spirit does for us because it's so powerful. Verses 15 through 16, let's read. He says this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Here's what he's saying. We are not slaves who need to be afraid. We are sons and daughters who stand secure. When you are facing sin inside of your life, when the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you to Christ's likeness, again and again, he's gonna reassure you of your identity. Why does he do that? Because if we could be honest with ourselves, we place our identity in a whole lot of other things besides Jesus Christ. Our jobs, our families, kids, marriage, hobbies, football teams that we cheer for. Man, we place our identity in so many other things. And time and time again, what does the Holy Spirit do? He's gonna reassure you that your identity is not in those things, but it's in Jesus Christ. So church, as we talk about the Holy Spirit today, I want you to walk away with one thought inside of your mind, and that's the alarm clock. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He is in you, designed to awaken you to the things of God, to awaken you to where to fight sin, to awaken you to where you become like Christ, to love your neighbor as Jesus loves him, to love your coworker the way that he loves him, to awaken you to your identity again and again that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we end this service and, and end this teaching, I, I wanna ask you a question. This is a simple question. Where in your life have you been hitting the snooze button on the Holy Spirit? See, we have an obligation to the Spirit to live according to his leadings inside of our life because we have freedom from condemnation. We need a guide, and the Holy Spirit will be our guide if we will lean into these practices that Paul has given to us. Thank you for your grace. It's grace now that we have hope in you forever and ever. Let's sing about it. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name. Into the night. Yeah, come on, sing it now. Then through the dark, yeah. your love tore through the shadow. The work is finished, the end is written. Oh, Jesus Christ, my living. God, we worship you in this place, Jesus. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from Spoken, I am forgiven. 
Seguirá. Jesus Christ, my Lord. 